It's good to see each of you. If you're a guest this evening, again, we welcome you. If you will be opening your Bibles to Genesis, the 28th chapter. We'll do a topical study tonight, so that's where we'll begin, and we'll move through several passages. Hope you'll open your Bible, and uh, we can study along together. And the Bible, well, I thought I had it marked. I was going to tell you where it was in the Pew Bible. But Genesis is the first book in the Bible. So open up to there and go to the 28th chapter and you'll find it. And, uh, and we'll enjoy studying together. Keep in mind, this coming Sunday will be an exciting time as we do think about our open house and our time of dedication of our new facility. Make your plans to be here and make your plans to uh, be grateful. And think about this week, the many blessings that we have and the many ways that we can use that for God's glory. And, uh, you know, God teaches us to stop and, and to be aware of the things that he gives us. And I hope that we all will, will pause and, and look at the facility that he gives us. It's, it's nothing more than a tool, uh, but what a wonderful tool that God gives us. And let's be sure that, that uh, we appreciate that and give God the honor uh, that, and, and the uh, appreciation uh, for the many, many things that he gives us. Do keep in mind, uh, we, we do want to do at 4.30 the uh, ride on the elevator. So if you want to suggest someone for that, and I know that some of you have already thought of the dirty trick of suggesting the ladies at the ladies' retreat that got stuck on the elevator. Uh, that probably wouldn't be the, the route we want to go. Uh, but do, do uh, suggest who you think it would be wonderful to be able to see them ride uh, the elevator, and we look forward to that blessing of being able to have access to our entire building uh, by everyone. Do keep in mind that for the inspections that are taking place by the fire marshal, probably will take place again this week uh, for us to have the final uh, allowing to entrance in and, and occupy this building. Uh, we do have to clean out all of our hallways. If you have uh, lent a clothing rack for the uh, giveaway day, and it is in the back hallway. You go down our existing education wing and go to your right, and you'll see the racks there. If, if you do not pick that up this week, it's counted as a donation. And it'll either be stored or given away to someone else, but it has to leave our hallways, and we don't have storage space. That's not one of the luxuries we have in this building. And so we literally do not have a place to store it uh, in the building. And so uh, please, if, if you have... Uh, several of you loaned those, and it was so helpful and so grateful, but they really need to be picked up today or tomorrow if, if you have not picked those up yet. There's several good racks still there. Also, uh, keep in mind that probably for some of the, uh, either the camping trips or the retreats or camp itself, there have been several trays that have been used and not returned, and there's two things. One, we just need them. And then the second thing, you probably don't realize how much money those cost. Uh, we only have about five sets missing, but that's about $600 of trays. And so it's not really wise for us to just go out and replace them when we know they're in existence somewhere. So if this year, this past 12 months, the past 24 months, you have used trays in some kind of retreat, some kind of camp, please think back in your mind, did you return those? If not, maybe you need to call the facility that you went to and ask them if you can come by and look in their facility and, and uh, just try to locate those. Let's make sure that, that we can find those because it'd be a shame for us to have to buy more uh, simply because maybe there's somebody's house or, or somebody uh, could just go and, and find those. It is wonderful to have a church family that is active, 
a church family that is constantly, constantly doing good. And so we appreciate all that's done. We appreciate having to make announcements about pick up the racks or find the communion trays. Those are good announcements. Those are signs that things are happening and that a lot of good is being done. Be thinking about what can we do the last part of the year to bring souls to the Lord. There are a lot of good seeds that have been planted. A lot of people that are visiting. Who is it that you can follow up with? Who is it that you can call and, and just befriend them and offer to take them out to lunch after a Sunday morning worship service? Who is it that, that you can make a difference in their life? And keep in mind, if every one of us, every one of us is offering a ride to one person, we're offering to go out to lunch with one person, we're offering to get involved in somebody's life, if every one of us It's trying to reach out to make a difference in at least one person's life. Think of the impact that that's going to have on this community. And so I want to challenge you with with the good that's being done collectively. The only way it will really pay eternal dividends is if then, if individually, we start looking for those people whose lives have been touched. And so I know many of you are doing that. Let's continue to be prayerful about that and continue to do everything that we can You've probably heard this before. I've, I've heard this for many years, but I have to tell you, I love this one. Dear Lord, I'm proud to say so far today, I've got along all right. I'm not gossiped, whined, or bragged, or had a single fight. I haven't lost my temper once or criticized my mate. I've not lied, I've not cried, or loudly cursed my fate. So far today, I've not one time been grumpy or sad. I've not been spiteful, cold, or vain, self-centered, or mad. But Lord, I'm going to need your help throughout the hours ahead, so give me strength, dear Lord, for now I'm getting out of bed. When we sing the song a few moments ago, I need thee every hour, do you really believe that? When, When you wake up enough to be aware of the fact in the morning that you're awake, does it consciously come to your mind I have to pray. I could never make it throughout today without petitioning God. When your life is going through anything that's extremely good or extremely challenging or extremely difficult, does it immediately come to your mind, I need to find a place where I can go of quietness and I need to spend some time. I need to spend some extended time in prayer. When we talk about the topic of prayer, do you see it as a topic Or do you see it as a part of you? That's who you are. You are a person that is constantly praying. This evening, I think about the story of Jacob in Genesis, the 28th chapter. And by the time we come to the point in the story that we're going to read now, we see that the friction between he and Esau is very, very harsh. Remember, by this time, he has already bought the birthright for just that bowl of soup. And by this time, he and his mother, Rebecca, have already deceived his father, and and he has gained the blessing. And on one hand, you'd say, wow, things got to be really good for Jacob right now. He's gotten the blessing. He's gotten the birthright. He's gotten, it seems like, everything that that a, a Jewish man could want in that day and time. But yet, you remember, toward the end of 27, as a matter of fact, as verse 41 Esau announces at the very end of 41, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And so his mother wants to protect her favored son, of course. And so she comes up with definitely, I mean, no doubt there's probably a merit of truth in it, but there's also a motivation that she wanted her son to live. And so she starts explaining to her husband, Isaac, we can't let 
Jacob marry one of the Canaanite ladies, women, so we're going to have to send him off. Let's send him back toward Laban, where I came from, and, and let's let him find a woman there of our family, of our descendants. And so Isaac buys into this, probably being aware of everything that's happening, but the truth is it was simply to keep him alive. But I want you to picture for just a moment your Jacob. You went from getting supposedly everything you wanted to now you're on a walking journey to a foreign land alone. How long you got to walk alone to start thinking, you know, maybe this isn't all as good and as grand as I thought it was going to be. And then that night when he decides he'll find a place to sleep, He looks around, and the best he can do is to find a stone. Now, any of you that have camped out, you imagine this. He finds a stone, and that's what he uses as his pillow. I would guess that Jacob was very discouraged at this point. Very lonely, very discouraged. But that night, God wanted to commune with him. God wanted to give him a boost. God wanted to show his presence to him. God wanted to remind him of the promise that he had made with his grandfather Abraham and with Isaac. And now because he's received the blessing, it's going to be the promise also to Jacob. And God wanted him to understand that as lonely as he felt right now, he could always have that partnership with him. Notice how this is expressed in a dream. We begin reading in verse 10 that Jacob went out from Beersheba and went down to Haran. And and this is Genesis, the 28th chapter. So he came to a certain place and he stayed there all night. And the sun had set and he took out the stones. And that's where he laid his head and laid down to the place to sleep. And then he had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and his top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on him. Behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of... Uh, Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Can you imagine the encouragement that it must have been at that time where no doubt he felt all alone, where he realizes I'm not alone. Look, I'm really in the presence of God. I see the gateway opening up. I'm really not that far from God. So not only is it the present, but look at the, the promise he's referring to that this is what I promised to your, your grandfather and to your father. And look as it continues in 14. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, how how much dust is there on the earth? Can you count it? Of course not. And that's referring to that covenant that God made with Abraham that just as the number of stars are in the sky or as the number of the dust is upon the earth, so are your descendants going to be. And he makes the promise, I'm going to give you a great nation, a great land. He makes the promise that through your nation will all of the earth be blessed because Jesus Christ is going to be blessed, uh, born through that uh, blessed lineage. And now notice as he speaks about this partnership here in 15, behold... I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land for I'll not leave you until I've done what I have spoken to you. Can you imagine the encouragement that is? 
Here's this man that's using a stone as his, his pillow. He's traveling all alone. He's had to leave his family behind because of the situation that, that he is in. And now the Lord says, can I just remind you of something tonight in the middle of this dream, which it's a dream where there's a lot more happening than just a dream. Can I remind you of something? I'm with you. I realize that when we study prayer tonight, it's not exactly like what's happening to Jacob where God literally entered into his presence in the dream and they were able to talk and God was, labeled to, uh, was willing to speak to him. I realize that's not exactly what prayer is. But friends, do you realize that any time we are fervent in our prayer, we are in the presence of God. Any time we are praying, we have a presence of God with us. We, we can be reminded of all the promises of God, and He doesn't mind us reminding Him of the promises that He's given. And, and in prayer, we literally are participating in a partnership with God to say, God, I can't walk through this life alone. And I want to thank you for the things that you've done, and I want to petition you for the things that I need, and I want to make intercession for those that I love. Do you realize all of that ultimately is a partnership to say, God, I need you. I want to link arms with you. I want to link lives with you. I want to link eternity with you. Now, it's in this setting that the next few verses is really why we started this text. Let's look at 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, I love this right here, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, wait a minute. Where he was, he had to use a stone as a pillow. Why did he say, this is the house of God? There wasn't, there wasn't a, a tabernacle built there. There wasn't any kind of, of physical sanctuary built there. It was years before the temple was ever built. It was thousands of years before the first church building was ever built. Why did he say, this is the house of God? It was for no other reason but to say, God is here. This night, I've been allowed to enter into the presence of God. This is an awesome place. And tonight, I want to ask you something. And, and if you don't know the answer to it, I hope by the end of this week that, that you have an answer for this. Where is your awesome place? Where is your place that you can say, you know what? That is my house of God. That's where I go to petition God with the deepest needs that I have. When I, when I want more than a five-minute prayer, that's where I go. That's my place to commune with God. And if you don't have that place, I hope that by the time we finish studying the great example of Jesus Christ tonight, that all of us will say, you know, I want to find that place. I realize that God is, is everywhere. But there needs to be that place where we're comfortable and quiet and undisturbed in prayer. Where we are as close to our God in prayer as we can possibly be. Before we look at that example of Jesus, I'd like for us to look at a teaching of Jesus in John the fourth chapter. 
You see, in the Old Testament, there was a lot of emphasis placed on where is the presence of God. You remember the temple was built and in the rear of the temple was the most holy place. And that in the most holy place, that there was the presence of God there and the high priest was allowed to only enter in there once. And you remember when Jesus died on the cross, God rent the veil in the temple, opening that up, showing that mankind could pass through into the presence of God now and would not ever have to enter through another person. That's why we don't have high priest on this earth. Now Jesus Christ is our high priest. We reach the Father by by praying through Jesus. He is that mediator. He is literally our high priest because of his death, giving us access directly to God now. Now, if if you know your map, it's it's real simple. I want you to think about Galilee and then in the middle region, I want you to think about Samaria and the lower region, you have Judea. And, and Judea and Galilee were made up primarily of Jews. In the middle, of course, were Samaritans. And there was really harsh prejudice between the Jews and the Samaritans. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews for the most part. And so now Jesus meets up with this woman that is a Samaritan woman at the well. And they begin talking. And whenever he convicts her of the fact that she has had of her immorality, she's had five husbands. And the one she's living with now is not her husband. She does what we tend to do whenever we feel uh, embarrassed or convicted. And we don't want to talk about it anymore. We change the subject. So she immediately goes to a hot topic. Where is the place where we can worship? In other words, where is it that we find the presence of God? Well, the Samaritans had a a Mount Gerasim. And and within the top of that mountain is where they considered their holy place where they could find God. And, of course, the Jews had Jerusalem, which is where God said was the holy place and where the temple was to be built. It was a holy city. And so there was that big rub, that big prejudice that, that, that caused a lot of hot topics. And you can imagine a lot of arguments. And so she brings that up to change the topic. And, and so he says to her, she asked in 20, where are we to worship? And he explains in 21 that an hour is coming when it won't be in the mountain or in Jerusalem. And then he says in 23, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers. Notice the emphasis there is placed on the, on the person. Yes, right now, Jerusalem is placed to worship. Right now, you guys place a lot of emphasis on the mountain. But I'm telling you, there's coming a time where we want to enter before the presence of God. It's not going to be in a temple that is in Jerusalem. And it's not going to be on your mountain that you decide to go to. Now it's going to be about you. Notice it's true worshipers. And what do we have to do? Worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is a spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so Jesus is paving that way to say, listen... There are going to be some things change about the mindset of coming before the presence of God. And collectively, we come together in corporate worship, and what a wonderful blessing that is. And it is a command. But isn't it wonderful that God gives you and I the blessing to come before His presence in prayer at any time and at any place? Wouldn't it be sad if the only time we could pray was when the whole church was together? Wouldn't it be sad if the only time we could petition God was with if an elder stood up and, and made a petition for us or if there was a high priest that was a man on earth and, and we had to, to go through him? Isn't it wonderful that Christ's death makes the way for us to enter into the presence of God? Well, tonight, I want to ask you, do you have, speaking, of course, in symbolism, Do you have that awesome place? Do you have that house of God? Or speaking by the example of Jesus, do you have a mountain that you go to?
Be turning, if you will, to Matthew, the 14th chapter. As you're turning there, we're going to pick up midway through the chapter. I want to remind you what happens in the first part of, of this chapter. It'll be somewhere along about 864 in the Bible that's in your pew there, 864. But Matthew, the 14th chapter, John, the Baptist, who was a cousin of Jesus, is beheaded. Not only was he a cousin of Jesus, but he also was in partnership, if you will, in ministry. You remember he was the forerunner of Jesus to pave the way, to get everybody ready to notice that Jesus Christ truly is the Messiah. Now for a moment, don't think of that just historically. For a moment, think of that being you. You receive a call that your partner and your cousin has been beheaded. How are you going to feel? Jesus was a man. Not just God on earth. He was man and God. He felt the same grief that you and I would feel if we learned that very same news. And so when we began reading in the 13th verse, we read that he wanted to find some time alone. Do you see there in 13 when Jesus heard it, talking about the the beheading of his cousin. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. What's Jesus wanting? He's wanting to get away. I need some quiet time. I've got to have some time to grieve. I'm hurting right now. This is hard to accept. But because this was a point in time in his ministry where his popularity was growing, this was literally a time where not just hundreds or a few thousand were following Jesus. This was a time where thousands, the estimated crowd here was at least 15,000. Try to imagine that. He's made his way to a deserted place and 15,000, because the scripture here tells us it was 5,000 men. They hear about Jesus going to that deserted place and they make their, their foot journey all the way to him. He's gone there to be quiet. He's gone there to grieve. And now he looks around and there's thousands and he looks at them and he, at the end of 14, he was moved with compassion, simple kindness, Jesus had simple kindness. He's gone there to look after himself, but now a huge multitude has come and he looks at their sickness and he looks at their disease and it's almost as if he says, I'm going to have to take my grief for a moment and put it on hold. And he spent the rest of the day healing and serving and teaching individuals. And then toward the end of the day, he realized there was no place for them to eat and he looked at the disciples and said, let's give them food. And you remember this part of the story where they said, look, we'll have two fish and five loaves. And Jesus performed the miracle and he fed that huge multitude of people and even had leftovers to collect up after it was over. And so now at the end of the day, he sends the people away. Notice that, it was very intentional. He had to have some time alone with God. He sends the people away and then he turns to his closest disciples and he puts them on a boat and he says, you go that direction and I'll walk around this body of water and I'll meet you there tomorrow. Now, where's Jesus going to go? Let's read verse 23. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. He went up into the mountain by himself to pray. While he's doing this, he would have probably been very much aware of the fact that his disciples that he put in that boat, there was a storm of contrary winds and waves 
blowing them and what should have only taken a short amount of time to cross over that body of water, keep in mind, they were experienced in the water, these men. They literally were rowing all night long. Someone says, if they were so experienced in the water, why didn't they just turn around and come back and say, we'll go tomorrow? Keep in mind, their master told them to go in that direction. It shows us something about their conviction of obedience. And so they're, they're rowing all night long. And it isn't until the fourth watch of the night, which is somewhere between three and six in the morning, that Jesus finally walks out on the water. And that's a whole other story. But why did I bring that up? Think about this. Jesus, what's on your mind that you would go up into a mountain alone to pray? And I believe from what the text teaches here, we could strongly at least be implied grief. I'm sad. It's like Jesus would say, didn't you read the first part of the chapter? I love John. That was terrible what happened to him. Weariness. I needed downtime and the people just continue to come. You know, when I, when I see young mothers, I'm sure sometimes they've got to feel like that they are on their last thread of energy I'm sure sometimes they probably throw up their hands and say, does anybody in this house, are they able to do something for themselves? There's so much to do in a day. And maybe you have individuals in your life that you're trying to go that extra mile to help. Maybe you're trying to teach a Bible class or maybe it's Meals on Wheels or some other ministry. And, and maybe it's at work. People just seem to demand more and more. And maybe it's a close friend that, that's going through a crisis and, and you can't turn your back on them now. And maybe you find yourself like Jesus where you say, I really need some quiet time. And yet every time I turn around, there's a multitude of things that's wearing me out. Or maybe it was the fact that he knew that while he was in the mountain praying, can you imagine him while he's there praying for those disciples? Lord, I've been up here hours talking to you and they haven't stopped rowing that boat yet. Just rowing almost in place. Friends, we are very comfortable saying, let's be like Jesus. I want to ask you tonight, are you really like Jesus? When you're grieving, when you're wore out, when your friends are rowing in the same place hour after hour, do you have a mountain that you go to alone to pray extensively? That's our example of Jesus. One more example. Turn with me, if you will, Luke the 6th chapter. Luke the 6th chapter, we have the record here of a very important time, not only in the life of Jesus, but it's an important time for you and I today. We literally are affected today by a decision that Jesus had to make the next morning. You say, well, what would that have been? He had to decide who, were, who he was going to choose to be the 12 apostles. Now don't think about that lightly. Think about this. This would be the individuals that after his resurrection, 40 days after that weekend, he's going to ascend into heaven. 
10 days after that, the church is going to begin. Jesus is going to be in heaven. These guys have to be committed enough, strong enough, love the Lord enough, love people and souls enough that they're going to get the church off the ground and running until Jesus comes again. Who are you going to pick? You know, it'd be easy for us to conjure up in our mind, hey, he is the son of God. He just goes up into the mountain and, 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 and I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I mean, really, but I'm just saying it would be easy to conjure up our mind. He just goes up in the mountain at night and he just kind of looks up and the heavens open and he says, Father, uh, this is what I'm thinking. I, I know right now there are thousands of people following me. And, and I've picked out about 30 or 40 men that I think are great men. And Father, I just want you to drop down the list. I'm just helping you think about this. It's interesting to me that Jesus, God on earth, had to make a decision about leaders. And instead of some kind of miraculous knowing of exactly who would be picked and it would just be treated like a black and white statement of fact. Instead, Jesus goes to pray all night long. We can read it simply here in verse 12 and following. And we're in Luke, the sixth chapter. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, notice how this is all linked together, and when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. You see the emphasis there? That's what I was referring to this morning. And, and I don't know if I got it in both services. I'm pretty sure we got it in the second service. But it was the fact that not only did Jesus choose the 12, but he named them apostles, which means to send out. In other words, he gave them their mission and what he called them. And so he calls out these 12 men. And, and when they understand that they are chosen for a life mission, then they leave the mountain together and they go down into the valley to carry out a life's journey of work. When you and I have important decisions, if Jesus Christ spent all night in prayer in a mountain, how much does my life resemble Jesus? Or even as a church family, let's challenge ourselves. How much do we reflect the New Testament church. In just the few minutes we have left, look to Acts the 13th chapter and let's look at two passages and see if we reflect the New Testament church. Look at Acts the 13th chapter. This is where Paul and Barnabas are going to be sent out. This is about page 980, 979 or 980 in your pew Bible. And Paul and Barnabas are going to be sent out on the first missionary journey. The sending church is Antioch. And, and notice it says in verse 2, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Granted, that's miraculous. So them knowing that they're supposed to send out Paul and Barnabas was a miraculous calling. But notice what comes next is not miraculous. Look at verse 3. Then, and he's talking about the church here, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now the laying on of hands here is not anything miraculous. 
It's not anything that would be wrong if today the, the, the fowlers were being sent on a trip and the elders called them to the front and said, we're asking everybody to fast for the next 24 hours. We're asking everybody to pray. And these people that we have our hands laid on right now that are going to Brazil, we're going to pray for them as a church family for the next 24 hours in fasting. Jesus, before he chose individuals, prayed all night. The early church, as though chose people, fasted and prayed and laid hands. Let's look over the 14th chapter and let's see elders being selected on the end, toward the end of this first missionary journey. Look at the 14th chapter in verse 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they have believed. Prayer and fasting when it came time to choose elders. That's not really a surprise, is it? Because it was the apostles that were involved in that. And what had the apostles seen? In their mind, they could think, well, we know what you do when you choose leaders. Remember before Jesus chose us? Remember he went up into that mountain at evening and he prayed all night. And the next morning he woke us up and said, we want you to come closer. I want you to come closer. I want to talk to you about a mission. Friends, do we have, do we have our place of prayer? where we take much to God. The last one, to be turning, if you will, to 1 Timothy, the second chapter. Not only leaders within the church, but what about leaders within the land? I believe it was the end of our second service this morning. We had a beautiful prayer offered on behalf of the leaders of this nation. And, and that's very biblical. As a matter of fact, it's a command for us to do. Look in 1 Timothy, the second chapter, verse 2 and 3. 1 Timothy is on page 1054 in the Bible that's in your pew there. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, that's request, prayers, that's general, intercessions, that's on behalf of someone else, and giving of thanks, that's gratitude, be made for all men, for kings, and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. The Lord says, do you want a godly life? Do you want a peaceful life? Do, do you want a reverent life? And someone says, Lord, you don't know the country we live in. It's getting harder and harder to live a godly life. Do you know our leaders? And God says, have you spent an hour? Have you spent a night? Have you brought that to me? Friends, do you realize that you and I can change more in prayer than we can in any other way? Because in prayer, we are partnering, partnering up with the powerful, almighty God. And so as we think about what we can do, there are many things we can do to help our nation. But one of the things that we need to do is go to our knees and fast and pray extensively. Because God says that is what works. I don't agree with all in his doctrine, but the old Charles Spurgeon once wrote, Well does the hymn put it, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. 
We do not come to the back door of this house of mercy to receive the scraps, nor to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. But when we pray, we're standing in the palace on the glittering floor of the great king's own reception room. We stand where angels bow with veiled faces, where the cherubims and the seraphims adore him. Shall we come there with stunted requests and narrow and contracted faith? He distributes gold. Do not bring before God stinted petitions and narrow desires. Friends, what can happen in our lives? What can happen in this community? What can happen in this church? What can happen in this nation when a church full of people have their mountain of prayer that they go to alone? Let's visit it frequently. Not just for God's sake, but for our sake.